Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 303 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Crystal Bancy about her trauma journey and how that experience helped tailor her legal approach and humanize her clients in the process. Today's podcast is brought to you by QuickBooks Online Advanced, Back Office Betty's, Law Pay, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So, Laura, we have some big news and congratulations coming your way because you just published your second book. I did. Uh, yeah, my second book came out um, towards the end of October. Um, publishing in the time of COVID is interesting. I think I got very lucky that we only had to delay the publication by one week um, due to shipping problems and challenges. But yeah, my second book, Six Figure Freelancer, was just published. And what a what a wild ride! Like to do this in the time where you can't you can't do as much like public speaking and conference kind of stuff as you normally would do. Right. So this book, I mean, lawyers are not your target audience. I'll just go ahead and say no. that. Right. <laughs> no. They are not. <laughs> so who is this book written for? So my book is written for someone who's an experienced freelancer, works virtually, works online, has had anywhere from like three to 50 clients, but is looking for help on how to scale it. And so my first book was more of an introductory books kind of step-by-step for freelance writers, how to do this in the online space. And this book is for freelancers of all stripes who are looking for like, how do I scale this? How do I make this my full-time career? Or maybe I want to keep it my part-time side hustle, but how do I optimize and systematize it so that I get the most out of the hours that I am working? Awesome. Which also makes you so great when you're working with our lawyers because you can help us figure out how best to use freelancers. Um, So I always love that perspective. But what I thought, and so obviously we're not plugging your book to this audience. I mean, (laughs) if you'd love to pick it up, we'd love, I mean, Laura would love for you to read it. (laughs) Or if you know someone who's a freelancer, then um, that would be a great, you know, holiday gift as the holidays are approaching. But so, but what I wanted to do is because I think people sometimes forget or aren't sure could they write a book or how could they use a book in their global like marketing strategy because it can be such a powerful tool and so maybe we could shift a little bit and since we've both published books and talk about how that could look for lawyers if this is something you've been thinking about doing. Yeah, I love that. I know we have some attorneys in Lawyerist Lab who have kind of asked those preliminary questions. It's on their bucket list, it's something they're thinking about. I think step 1 is really honing in on why do you want to write a book because some people's you know perspective on what writing a book means is different than reality and I think you know this too from having published the small firm roadmap if you are going into this with like oh I'm going to write a book and make millions of dollars probably not going to line up the re- the way that you want right, right. Um, so but there's different reasons to publish a book you might be doing it for the purpose of credibility um, maybe you are looking to add it to your public speaking repertoire and you know the book is how people get introduced to you as an attorney your book might be 
kind of that like lead magnet or the way that you establish credibility in the space or that you connect with people who've never heard of you before and showcase your expertise and knowledge in that way. So there's a lot of things that you can do with the book. We have had some Lawyerist Lab members publish books of their own in their practice areas, and it's been interesting to follow that journey. But I really think step one is like, what are you hoping to get out of this? Because your manuscript with the same title could look five different ways depending on what your goal is. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lawyer here in Atlanta that wrote a family law book. It's it's targeted like how to get a divorce. And he basically uses it as his business card now. He's told me that. So, you know, different ways that you would use your book. So obviously you need to know going in, what's the purpose? That makes sense. What do you think are some of the other kind of big roadblocks that people have and, and might get stuck on when it comes to writing a book? Yeah, it's, you know, make sure that there's a market out there for the book that you are interested in, because writing a book in and of itself is a big accomplishment. And maybe that is part of your goal that you just want to say like, hey, I started and finished that project from beginning to end. But if you're using it for any sort of marketing purpose, so like you said, that business card, branding yourself, maybe you're looking to build referral relationships with other attorneys, and you want this to be respected by them as a piece of thought leadership you publish, um, you got to think, carefully about all of those things and make sure, are there readers for this book? Because publishing a book alone is not going to get readers to find it. I can't remember how many books are published today, but it's it's well a over hundreds. Yeah. yeah. And so you're in a competitive market, even if you're in a super niched like law book industry, because you're coming out on the same day with your book as things in fiction, nonfiction, you know, all over the place. And you have to have a space in there where people are interested in your book. So I think the biggest mistake I see authors make is they think the process is just about writing the book and they don't think about the marketing plan well in advance. I'm sure that you all, when you were writing the small firm roadmap, had that in the back of your mind. Like, how are we going to release? How are we going to tell our audience about this book? How are we going to build the buzz before the book even comes out? And so as an author, you're not just a writer. You have to be a marketer or you have to be willing to pay someone who will do all of that marketing for you because it is not just about writing the book. I think the most crushing feeling is when you write something, put your heart and soul into it, you release it into the world and there's one buyer and it was someone in your family. And yeah. so you, <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> and I remember when we published ours, I, I read some statistic at some point that I'm not going to get right, but it, there was... An astoundingly small number of books that actually even sell a thousand copies, like hitting yeah. those numbers was, was significant. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I, and I just yeah. had no idea. I didn't realize how many books were out there and, and then how few copies they sold. Um, and so that, that's a good point. What about, I feel like if you've made the decision to write it, you know what you're going to write, you know who you're going to write it for, you understand the marketing purpose. So you've got a good plan, a good strategy in place. I know so many people just get stuck in the writing, right? Like it's hard. Yeah. Well, I would recommend, you know, in the writing world, there's two camps of people. They call them pantsers versus plotters. Pantsers are like the kind of Stephen Kings of the world. They can sit down and just write. They, it, flies out of their, you know, fingertips and they just write, I need structure. So I am a plotter. And I feel like a lot of nonfiction writers 
we have to have that plot and that outline. And so you don't want to put that pressure of yourself on like, hey, tomorrow at 8 a.m. before my workday starts, I'm going to sit down and write a thousand words because there's a lot of decisions that have to be made before you write the thousand words. So spend a good amount of time on your outline, really flesh it out, run it by some prospective readers or other people in your industry Ask them to point out your weaknesses. That was hugely helpful for me to have people say, well, why does this chapter come all the way at the end? I think that would need to be at the beginning. Or someone pointed out, one of my readers on my first book said, you didn't even talk about whether freelance writers should have a website. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty big omission. Like, thanks for for letting me know that I screwed that up. So it's really helpful for you to map it out yourself. And I love that because when I have it on my calendar to write, I sit down and I'm like, okay, what am I writing today? All right, I'm writing chapter three subheading number one, previous Laura already made that decision about what that is and how many words we're going to try to target here. It feels much more accessible. And I think you'll hear in an upcoming episode, I interviewed um, author Becca Syme, who's a Clifton Strengths expert, and she's written a lot of books. And one of the things she pointed out is no two people write the same. So there's no wrong way to do it. You can, you know, do a four day writing sprint and you can have just as good a manuscript as the person who spent three years writing a little bit every single day. So decide what works for you and stick with it. Um, I love writing a little bit every day after I've fleshed out that outline. And as a nonfiction writer, I fly all over the book. So I might write something from the last chapter and then the next day, something from chapter three. And like that might not work for other people, but for me, it keeps it from getting boring of like, oh man, I'm still talking about this. I don't want to write about this anymore. I like the freedom of switching it up. Right. And I I feel like we probably spent honestly six months planning the book, like a good solid three months thinking about what would a book that lawyers, like, what would we even write a book about? And then we did a really detailed outline. So we did have a really structured outline going into the, and then and then we used a technique that other people, you know, may this may resonate with you, where we dictated a lot of the parts of the book and um, and recorded conversations that we had, and then we had that, you know, transcribed, and so we had words to work from, and it wasn't like just trying to always sit down and write from a blank piece of paper because I think that can be intimidating, and people just, and I know, like I, I used to do this even with my briefs, right? Like you want those words to be, they're so important, and so sometimes you just have to kind of get a draft going because you work better from words than blank. I love that tip. It's one of my favorites too. The other thing that you can do with that is I often come up on a chapter or a concept where I'm like, I know I've done a training about this, or I did a webinar or a live workshop that was recorded. And so getting that transcribed, even if you don't use the actual words, like I might come across something that's like creating packages for freelance clients. And I'm like, I don't need to write this from scratch. I know I have a training somewhere. And so I'll pull that transcript just to go, oh, okay, these were the five main points that I made. And that way you don't have to make as many decisions. So feel fine repurposing your own stuff. You can absolutely do that. So if you've done a training or a workshop or a webinar, like use that information to your advantage because you don't have to create everything from scratch and just stay committed to it. Um, You know, there's a lot of mindset and kind of mental prep. And I think it's really normal to feel things like imposter syndrome. I felt that 
each time that one of my books has been released, like the day before it goes live, I'm like, is this awful? Like what if <laughs> yeah. this goes out into the world? What if I did this all wrong? And it's it's terrifying. That will never, I don't think that'll ever go away. It is so terrifying. And those first reviews start coming in. Oh, I used to like hit refresh on Amazon way more than I care to admit. And now I'm proud to say I haven't looked at them in a long time. So that's good. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think this is important too. Like obviously it's at the end of publishing your book, but don't let a two or a three star review hurt your feelings. Sometimes they have legitimate feedback in those reviews. Yeah. And it it also makes it seem like you didn't just buy a bunch of reviews or get everyone in your personal network. So I actually appreciate when there's someone who scores it a little bit lower because maybe that information helps someone who wasn't the right reader for your book to avoid it. That would have been another person who bought and left a bad review. And it also legitimizes all the four and five star reviews that you do have. So it is an exercise in mental toughness, not just to have the guts to write the book, but to actually sit down and write it, to go through the editing process, which is my least favorite, and then to put it out there into the world. So if you're feeling all those things, thinking about it, um, but it's also super cool, right? To hold something in your hands that you created. It was an idea in your head, and now it's a thing that people are using. And I know the Small Firm Roadmap, I mean, we continue to make consistent sales of the Small Firm Roadmap. And what that means is people are using that information to think about their law firm and take it to a whole new level. And that's a really cool thing, right? Like at the end of the day, when you have someone take a picture of the small firm roadmap and they're like, they're on vacation or in their backyard and they're like, oh man, I'm reading this during my downtime. That's just a good feeling. Yeah. It's super cool to know that you're helping people that you don't even know. So if, if you have this idea, if you have thoughts in your head and you know, you can contribute ideas to the world go for it. Make a plan. Think it through. Like, don't just jump in. Like Laura said, like, follow the steps and advice, but, um, you know, outline a plan and, and make some steps and make it happen. Yeah. Can't wait to hear it. Share it with us when you write your books. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Linda Artisani from QuickBooks Online Advanced and then Stephanie's conversation with Crystal. Hi there. I'm Zach Glazer, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. And I have Linda presenting QuickBooks Online Advanced, here to share top tips for saving time, increasing productivity, and improving accuracy in your law firm accounting. Hi, my name is Linda Artisani, and my business is Artisani Bookkeeping. I work closely with Intuit, the maker of QuickBooks Online Advanced, and I also work with LeanLaw, which is a time and billing software for attorneys. When you pair QuickBooks Online Advanced with LeanLaw, you now have a very legal, specific accounting solution. So, Linda, how do you make this system work for the different types of law firms that you work with? Well, in short, the answer is the power of custom fields. Custom fields is a feature in QuickBooks Online Advanced and in LeanLaw. Very recently, Intuit opened up the API to LeanLaw. An API is just what allows these two applications to talk to each other. What I love about this feature is it allows me to refine the customization of the two systems. We're able to tailor the accounting platform for any type of law practice in any practice area. Could you provide some specific examples of that? Sure. Uh, for example, I have a workers' comp attorney that I work with, and she asked me to add the date of the injury and the insurance policy number to the invoice. I was able to take the custom fields and add those two metrics to her invoicing. I was able to use a date field for the date of the injury and the number field for the insurance policy number. Without those two things on her invoicing, 
she wouldn't get paid by the insurance company. I work with a criminal attorney. He wanted to track the opposing counsel on in each invoice, and I was able to add it to each invoice in QuickBooks with a text field. But I made that field an internal field. The customer will never see those names on their invoice. For my estate planning attorney, I can add the date of the original trust. But by far the most often ask of me to add a field is to add the responsible attorney. I use a drop-down list type for that feature, and I just add the, all the attorney names that work for the firm. The power behind this is that it provides a high level of accuracy. No more will you see mistyped names. With the drop-down list, it's fixed and easy for the bookkeeper to select the name in lien law, and the data will push through to QuickBooks Online Advanced for each transaction. The sky's really the limit when you create custom fields and track any data point using the date, the number, the text, or that very powerful drop-down list. So do those custom fields show on uh, reports for tracking data? Absolutely. That's the secret power behind them. QuickBooks Online Advanced has many great reporting features built inside. At its core, it is an accounting software. Integrating the app LeanLaw makes QuickBooks work for law firms. LeanLaw has many legal-specific reports built right inside the application, like ready-to-bill or work-in-process, fixed-fee profitability, revenue-by-practice area, revenue-by-originating attorney, and, and there's many more. But there's also reporting on the QuickBooks Online Advanced side, too. Here's where you get to see the full picture of the firm, and you get expert-level insights. We're able to identify key areas of the law practice and get deep metrics and also advise our clients on improvements and help them set smart goals. We can track KPIs and compare the client's firm with similar firms using industry benchmarks. Some of the key metrics I'm able to track in QuickBooks Online Advanced include accounts payable and accounts receivable, current ratio and quick ratio, gross profit and net profit, revenue streams, and more importantly, your cash flow. So if a law firm has trust accounting, can QuickBooks Online Advanced and Lean Law manage that? It definitely does. Let's face it, attorneys are well aware of the importance of tracking trust accounting and all the compliance tasks that go along with it. Using QuickBooks Online Advanced and Lean Law to manage this trust accounting is done in just a few simple clicks. There's no more complicated workarounds. It's really easy to stay on top of the day-to-day -day transactions because they're entered from lien law before they're pushed into QuickBooks Online Advanced. It's very simple to track individual trust ledgers inside of QuickBooks or inside of lien law. This process saves a lot of time through automation and improves accuracy. The beauty of this system is it resides in one place. There's no more the trust accounts in this file, your operating account and the business side of my account is in that file. The connection of lien law and QuickBooks provides you a single place to record the movements of funds across multiple trust accounts. Then with the power of QuickBooks online bank feeds, you can easily validate and reconcile those accounts. So Linda, if you could tell a lawyer to stop doing one thing, what would it be? Stop doing things manually. <laughs> Not only is it time consuming, but it's ripe for errors. 
Using QuickBooks Online Advanced will give you the accuracy you desire to make good decisions on firm growth and help your firm's trajectory. Linda, thank you so much for being here with us today. And for more information, people can go to quickbooks.com forward slash law firms. My name is Crystal Banzi, and I'm an attorney in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have a statewide practice where I focus on debt defense, consumer protection, and bankruptcy. Hey, Crystal. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have you today. I'm really interested in what we're going to talk about because I feel like it's an area I, I don't know as much about, and so maybe we could just jump right in. Does that sound good? Works for me. All right, so... You have been super open and honest in in talking about how trauma has impacted you and your life. And and what I thought we'd focus on today is really hearing how that's shaped your practice. So maybe with that, tell us a little bit about what's going on. Sure. So um, I guess I want to start prefacing this with my background initially in law was in criminal law. So I went to the University of Wisconsin um, at Madison, and my first summer, I did an internship with the Wisconsin Innocence Project, and that really piqued my interest in criminal law. So after that, I really made it a focus to get involved in all sorts of different aspects of criminal law, but um, justice and prosecution. Once I graduated law school, I worked as a volunteer prosecutor for the state of Wisconsin for about six months, where I got a lot of experience and firsthand experience working with victims, um, defendants, of course, defense attorneys, as well as all the other players. And so it was naturally a progression of my, my career, and I then joined the military and got some experience with them as well. And it really became a part of my professional job. So just by chance, I started working for DOJ and became involved in some sexual assault cases through that work, became a subject matter in that, then went on active duty. Um, Once they started a sexual assault legal assistance program, and I helped start that with the National Guard Bureau. So my world was really surrounded by a lot of the traumatic events that, you know, most anyone can face, horrific crimes, horrific circumstances of abuse, and things like that. So my professional life always had that piece to it. And so I really never expected that me personally would would go through that. I didn't get involved in criminal law because of um, something that happened to me. It was really just a, a general interest in criminal law. I, I still love like SVU. I watch it for fun. But th- that part kind of took a life on its own when I, I became involved with, um, I married someone who was domestically violent. And so I experienced that firsthand. And then I went through the criminal law system as a a victim and then, you know, other court systems like family law. And I really had the opportunity to see the system from a different point of view. And while I certainly wouldn't say I'm glad that it happened or anything like that, 
I am thankful that I am able to take what I've learned and the difficulties I've seen and faced through the system and approach my clients and my practice now with compassion and understanding that sometimes the person in front of you may be acting a certain way or not thinking clearly because there are other things going on in their life. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious that like, let's break this down a little bit. Um, cause I would imagine like just even with the criminal work that you were doing before you had anything happen in your personal life, I'd imagine most law students don't go to law school and think, I want to go into criminal law and deal with people who are facing trauma in their life every day, right? Like, I don't think that was something that was talked about as we were preparing to be lawyers. I mean, did that come up for you? No, not at all. I mean, maybe after getting involved in highly specialized trainings, there would be, you know, a, a presentation or two about compassion fatigue, which is basically, you know, working and getting tired and emotionally drained from working in, in that area. And, you know, I definitely believe that that exists, but no. And I, I mean, I don't think, you know, the way it's described and it, it really is something you have to take into consideration because this kind of work is heavy, no matter who you are, or what you've experienced and it will impact you, even if it isn't you personally experiencing it. Yeah. I volunteered for the public defender's office after my first year in law school. And I kind of thought very quickly, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. <laughs> like I saw just over a couple of months, you know, how it started changing my thoughts and perceptions and were, you know, and it was just super interesting. Um, ultimately, I, I didn't go into that area of law, even though I thought I really wanted to. So I think that's good advice for for anyone. I mean, we don't even really like it doesn't even have to be criminal law, right? Like so many parts of the law we're dealing with clients who have been impacted in very serious ways. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, bankruptcy and financial issues and consumer issues, I would say unequivocally the, the people I work with, the reason they're in my office need assistance is because of some event in their life, whether it was a death in the family, a loss of a job, medical bills, it's usually some sort of, or worse, it can be a traumatic event. And I guess I, I do, you know, take pride in being able to assist someone and take at least one thing off their plate so they can focus on the other issues that they're, them and their family are facing. Yeah. And so as I understand your story, after you had some personal trauma in your life, you realized that you needed to make a change in, in the direction of your career in order to be able to take care of yourself first. And, and I love that. And I love that you took those steps. So congratulations to you. Cause I know sometimes we get put on these paths or we put ourselves on these paths and we, we forget that we can make turns along the way. So I'd love to just hear about what that transition was like. So you ultimately changed your practice area, right? Like tell us what you did. Sure. So, you know, I will say part of it was just generally starting out. Most people, you know, take whatever walks in the door. But um, I definitely did take a step back because it was very quick. And I'm now on sort of the other end of it. So I can kind of look back and go, oh, that wasn't so bad. But it was terrible because when you're in a position where you need to, you know, keep paying your mortgage and have a job, you have a lot of things going on in your personal life 
and you have these skills which people assume one you're going to be great at criminal defense family law really high stress level um you know practice areas because that's what i did i did high level stressful litigation that's what my colleagues you know assume so that's the kind of things that would come into the door and then also because i i was open about this number one i knew people would talk about it and it was obvious that i was injured and my ex um you know that went on um i had to be open about it but with that a lot of people then assumed i would like to work on domestic violence cases or sexual assault cases because that's what I did in the military. And so getting all that kind of stuff in the door when I'm also going through personal things, it it made me take all the things I liked about private practice and working for myself and still hate going into work every day because I was stressed about my own problems, I was stressed about other people's problems and I'm trying to run and build a practice, which I had no idea what I was doing at the time. Right. Yeah. And so did you sit down and have to like make an intentional shift or did it happen more gradually where you realized I got to take care of, you know, myself and start going in this new direction? I don't think there was ever a specific aha moment where I said, I'm going to stop this. But there were plenty of nights where, you know, family or friends would listen to me complain about me wanting to just quit law completely, go do something else, just, you know, completely anxious and stressed. And, um, you know, because I don't have, my family isn't lawyers or anything. They don't really have targeted advice. You know, it was encouraged and I felt like, you know, I should, I, I just kept going basically. And um, then I slowly got involved in doing some consumer protection and financial work, and that grew from there, and I really started liking it again. I stopped taking the cases that I really didn't want to do and started turning people away, which, you know, every solo practitioner and small firm owner knows how scary that is initially. Now it's easy for me. And um, really did just a hard stop of taking anything that walked in the door. So it's kind of both. It was a conscious choice, but it was a gradual effort because as you know, you can't just, as much as I would have loved to at some points be like dropping every client I had because it was too stressful. You just realistically can't do that. Yeah, sure. And what I love about this, and I can even almost hear it in your voice as you start to talk about that change I know so many lawyers who feel burnt out and stressed, and we've been talking about this on our team a lot lately. We're like, oh, we want to help lawyers love practicing law again, right? Because we do this to ourselves. <laughs> We're so miserable. And and it sounds like you kind of found that, like you found a practice area that you really enjoy and allows you to help people in a different way and, and that you can like your business again. You can like doing what you do. Absolutely. I, I really do. And, um, you know, that's not to say that I don't occasionally like <laughs> some other things. I still have a few cases and random things, but I really do like what I do on a daily basis. And I don't have the nerves of, you know, jury trials and all-nighters. And that stuff is just a thing of the past for me. If, if I stay up late, I'm doing it by choice. 
And um, I really do love working on, on the business and in the practice area that I'm in. And I love the client work. That's, I would say, number one is I get to talk to a lot of people and work with a lot of different people. And, you know, even if it's help someone with a minor thing, like get some paperwork they need, I'm helping people still. Yeah, I love that. So let's take a quick break. We need to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to kind of shift our focus and talk a little bit about tactics and how trauma has changed the way you interact with your clients, maybe on a day-to-day basis. So we'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, LawPay as the ability to accept payments online becomes an increasingly essential part of your practice. LawPay provides your firm with a proven and trusted solution. With LawPay, you receive a simple, secure way to accept client credit cards and e-check payments from anywhere. LawPay understands the unique compliance requirements placed on attorneys, which is why their solution was developed specifically to correctly separate earned and unearned fees and protect IOLTA accounts from any third-party debiting, giving you peace of mind that your transactions are always handled correctly. To learn more or to get started, visit lawpay.com slash lawyerist today. Get it right every time. Text Expander makes it easy to give your team the right words for every situation. Whether you need to keep legal happy or delight customers with effective answers, you can rest easy knowing your team has it covered. The latest version of Text Expander even has new and improved statistics reporting for organizations, including the ability to build reports with customizable date ranges for enterprise and individuals, so you can track how much time your team saves. With Text Expander, you can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current, work faster and smarter, keep the whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language, and share your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Lawyerist Podcast listeners get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com podcast to learn more. Okay, we're back with Crystal. And thank you, Crystal, for you've been sharing your amazing story with us, which is very personal and and raw. And I appreciate that openness. And you were talking about how you had to shift your whole practice area, really, because you realized because of it was involved trauma, and you were impacted by trauma, it was not healthy for you to stay in that practice area. And I think that's so brave of you to make that transition. But you've also shared with me before we started recording some of the other ways that this has impacted just even the way you deal with clients. And I think some of those tips could be really helpful for everyone who's dealing with clients. So I'd love to just kind of dive in and hear your thoughts on on how you approach that with your clients now. Absolutely. So uh, number one thing that I think is most important and super basic is taking the time just briefly to get to know a little bit about why your client is in your office, get to know them a little more than just the specific, you know, legal problem. 
oftentimes, you know, someone's coming to me because a, a credit card company is suing them. But chances are when I talk to them, I'll find out that it's because they had a medical issue and something happened or an accident. And finding that background information allows me to do my job better, but help me understand where that person is coming from. When I have a little bit of that information, I'm able to take a step back yeah. and assess, you know, is this person contacting me and, and yelling at me or my support staff because something else is going on in their life? What can I do? Um, is it a person who's just completely inappropriate, needs to not be handled, you know, talking to us that way? Could be, but chances are, if you take a moment to understand where that person is coming from, or at least try to, one, they're going to be appear more human to you. Let's be honest. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to sort of separate. You have to, especially in the work I did, you have to separate yourself from the clients or the people you're working with because, you know, you'll be consumed by the, the trauma and stuff. But um, now I take a step back and ask so I can give the person the benefit of the doubt. Also with that, understand how to approach certain people. If um, you know someone is going to, because they're going through something difficult and be short-tempered on the phone, you know, perhaps that's something where you send an email. So tailoring your approach. Really, it's, it's not anything too formulaic or complicated. It's really just humanizing your clients in the practice of law yeah. and trying to understand where they're coming from their point of view. And one other thing I'll just um, hop in and say is also taking a step back and looking at law, which is really hard to do when you're a lawyer, from a, a non-lawyer's point of view. So for example, I get people who get sued by somebody and they're coming to my office because a, a sheriff knocked on their door. I can't tell you how many people are afraid that they're going to jail, getting arrested, whatever. I mean, to you and me, like we know that when someone gets served, that doesn't mean you're going to jail or anything, but regular people don't. And I really had to even check my, my education and my attitude at the door with that because I get annoyed when people would call and be all panicky like that. But it's really that matter of saying, hey, this is a person who's probably never been in a courtroom in their entire life. And then the sheriff's knocking at their door. I'd probably be scared too, if that was me. Yeah, I've never thought of that. And you're right. And it also resonates with me. I was in a workshop once where the facilitator had us all think of a time when we were really stressed, right? Like where you were so stressed or so consumed with something that you let ordinary things fall off your, like that you just, you forgot about them. And it, it reminded me, like I was in a trial once I had like a one week trial in Florida, even though I live in Georgia and it was my husband's birthday during that trial. And I just completely forgot, even though I knew for months it was going, his birthday was going to fall during the trial. I had a whole plan that I was going to set up something and I'd be away, but I would have, I would cover it. Right. And then I just totally forgot. And like, I called when the trial ended and it was like, I was after the trial, like I had this moment where I just had like had this breakdown and I was like, Oh my God, I forgot his birthday. It was three days ago. And by the way, it turned out I had called him on his birthday 
did not mention his birthday, but our, our case got some national press. So I was actually calling him to like record <laughs> the news that was going to break on our case, <laughs> uh, which probably didn't help things, right? Because it wasn't even like I didn't talk to him. I just forgot his birthday. And I felt so horrible. Like, how could I have forgotten his birthday? And so then she said to us, that's how your clients feel when they're stressed and they're dealing with the trauma and the things in their life. Like they may forget to give you that important document that you need, or they may forget an appointment with you. And as lawyers, we're like incensed, like, isn't this the most important thing in their life right now? But if they're dealing with, like, we have no idea what they're dealing with. And if they're dealing with the thought of like losing their home every day and that enormous stress that would bring, like, guess what? Coming to your office for their appointment might not be the most important thing on their mind. And I was like, oh yeah, like that, so I love what you said about like just remembering to humanize them and maybe they're doing stuff that's annoying to us, but it has nothing to do with us. Absolutely. And that makes me think of another thing that is from my military background. So one of the reasons why security clearances are a big deal is, you know, if people have financial issues, they're going to be less likely to be paying attention to their job, more likely to, you know, miss things because something is probably going on in their life. Um, so that's a big consideration, you know, in the military and readiness is, you know, obviously pushed and pushed and pushed at that level. And that's another piece that I, I guess I, you know, always have in the back of my head too, because, you know, if the military is saying, hey, if you're having family problems at home and you're not, you know, 100% on the job, that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. Yeah. never. It, you're so right. And I knew this, but you know, sometimes we just forget to say it <laughs> can remember. It. Absolutely. So obviously we've gotten to know each other because, um, you are in our amazing lawyerist lab community, which I love. And so I thought maybe just to kind of wrap things up, I don't know. There's, there's probably people out there listening who've heard us blabber on about it all the time, but they still have no idea what it is or, or what we're talking about. So I, I just wonder, since you can put yourself in their shoes, is there kind of some, some thoughts that you might tell one of our listeners that if they're thinking about it, what they might consider? Sure. Well, first, like I was telling you earlier, I honestly wish I would have found labs sooner because I probably would have made about hundred less mistakes than I did, but um, I'm so glad I did it. I joined earlier this summer, and at that point, I really was looking for a, you know, sort of whole law firm mastermind or or group, if you will, because as a solo and um, you know on my own, it's really hard to connect with other law firm owners and practitioners. So I was really looking for that community and I really didn't want it to be a specific practice area. I really wanted to focus more on the business side of things. And um, so I'm not exactly sure how I came across Lawyerist, but you know, serendipity, perfect. And um, jumped right in and really, you know, and you're not paying me to say this, but I, I couldn't be happier. I think it's such a great community. I, I love all the people I've met. And um, for the listeners, I'll, I'll just explain. There's just so many different pieces. There's online modules. There's a Facebook group. There's um, twice monthly lab calls plus workshops. I, I mean, there's so much. But what I really love is the the connections between labsters and um, everyone at Lawyerist. It's such a 
open community. People are very open about their challenges, the things going great, good ideas, not afraid to share constructive criticism. And that's really what I've been searching for with law firm, you know, practice. It's so hard. And I think we've even had this conversation before, but it seems like a lot of lawyers and people working in this field are very hesitant to share some of their knowledge or, you know, feel like it's a competitive thing. And lab is just the opposite of that. People want to help you, want to give you advice, tell you things that worked for them. Nobody's a know-it-all. It's just great. I appreciate that. And I think your story, you know, we, we have hard conversations and I, you know, like, I, again, I just so appreciate you being open and honest with the trauma that you've experienced in your life because we all carry pieces of, of, of things like that, right? And sometimes as lawyers, we feel like we have to appear as if we have it all figured out, right? Like you have to go to the bar association or go wherever you're going where there's other lawyers and we're always trying to, like someone said, like, you know, you, you puff your chest out a little bit and you're like, oh, I've got this, all, I've got this thing all figured out. And I think as lawyers, we do a disservice to ourselves because there's benefit in being real and human and, and vulnerable and, and sharing with each other how we can help each other. We're all struggling, <laughs> I think. I agree. And, you know, everybody has something going on in their life or things that they carry. And I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you again for coming on with us today. I, I know that there's a lot of people out there who maybe need to take time and think about why they don't love practicing law right now. And maybe there's a lesson there that you can love the practice again. Maybe you just have to take a turn or a step in a different direction. There you go. We've got it all figured out today. Crystal, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.